This is not George Hahn, but this is the George Hahn Podcast. I'm Amy Eddings, and I've taken over George Hahn's podcast for a while. I saw an opportunity, and I just rolled right in and seized it. And we had a lengthy conversation that we've decided to break up into different parts. So, uh, George, um, make your editing magic, make it work, and uh, introduce this next segment. I think you're magic. I think the future is female. Future, the present and the past, baby. Well, I agree. Yes, I mean, I I say that playfully. It's all about female. I love working with women. One of my best bosses, as you know, was a woman also. Joan. Joan. She's, I mean, wow, what a ride, right? Let's talk about the suit, every man's staple. Can't mm-hmm. go wrong yet, right? And and yet many, many, many men do. Besides wearing sneakers with suits, where do men go wrong? They pick the wrong suit. Um, I have always believed and will die on this hill that if you are going to have one suit or if it's your first suit, it should be a navy suit because it is the most versatile suit that any man can wear. You can wear it to work a job interview, a funeral, a wedding, and everywhere else. You can even do what they call a business mullet and just wear the jacket as your blue blazer. I kind of do that sometimes as well. I cheat, even though I should have just a dedicated navy blazer. Um, From there, go to charcoal and then maybe a gray. It also depends on your palette. Um, like now, that's color. What about mm-hmm. style and styling and details? First, start with plain, you know, solid. And the navy, everybody looks good in navy. Every skin tone, every ethnicity, everybody looks good in navy. So no pinstripes? No, plain. Pinstripes is later. Mm. Like when you've already got your, you've already sort of built your arsenal a little bit. Mm-hmm. Stripes and patterns and plaids and window pane checks, um, uh, herringbones, hound's tooths, that's later. you got to cover the basics first. And get it tailored. Now, the, oh, yeah. e- even for your uh, big and tall men, get mm-hmm. it tailored. Uh, especially for them. Every man looks his best in a tailored suit. Not every man looks good in a T-shirt. Not every man looks good in a pair of jeans. But look at Cary Grant. There's a great picture. I've tweeted it a couple of times, I'm sure. Great picture of Cary Grant standing next to Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock was always large. At some points in his life, he was like circus fat. Like rotund, like violet, blowing up like a blueberry in Willy Wonka fat, like round. <laughs> and there's a picture of Cary Grant, lean, handsome, fit in his tailored suit, standing next to Alfred Hitchcock. In his, it had to be custom because there's nothing off the rack that would fit that dude. <laughs> and Alfred Hitchcock looks elegant, he looks great. There's this show on Showtime called Billions. Andrew Ross Sorkin's show, Mm. uh, and Damian Lewis, who's like the tech uh, or the um, hedge fund dude, he's a hoodie bro. Um, But when he wears a suit, he's Damian's fit. And then there's Paul Giamatti, who is not, who's kind of not fit and maybe a little heavy. And Paul's wearing these custom made suits, and he looks great. 
So every man, it, the suit, the customs, or not the custom, a well-tailored suit is the ultimate equalizer among all men. Put all men, rich, poor, young and old in a room and give them a well-tailored suit, everybody's on equal footing. So do you have a lot of female followers and do they ever ask you for advice on nudging their significant others or their husbands toward um, dressing better? All the time. And what do you tell them? Uh, I give them the answer that they're looking for. You know, I'm trying to get my husband to get rid of the hoodie and, um, you know, what jacket should I get him? I understand that and I appreciate that. But I am also, I think that's a little bit of a shame to me that one's, that goes back to your mommy getting your clothes. Mm-hmm. I think men should take ownership of their style. That's what I mean about what, what, my, what was my takeaway from Glenn O'Brien's book, Give a Shit. Mm-hmm. Men should care because it matters. No, and I don't. I don't think women should be shopping for their guy mm-hmm. because a gift I, is one thing, but like on the regular, no, no. Um, the flip side of that, from a woman's point of view, a lot of men will like to get for Valentine's Day some skimpy little thing uh, for his 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 lover, his his bride to wear, and it's off putting because. She feels like she needs to live into that. Right. But at the same time, some people have argued that, like, what sexy lingerie is to men, a well-tailored suit is to a woman. Well, yes. Because it is is sexy, whether men want to acknowledge it or not. But again, oh, no, it's very sexy. But um, this goes back to the point where um, you have to feel comfortable enough in your own skin and in your own persona to wear that, Mm -hmm. whether it's a negligee or a suit. Mm-hmm. So there's n- I can't buy something for my guy and say here wear this. It's going to come off as an insult. Mm-hmm. It's going to come off as hectoring. It's and a, it's 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 kind of low self-esteemy. Like wow, she doesn't like how I look. So it's more I guess encouraging one's guy by saying I really like it when you yes dress up. Yes. And le- or when a guy is way. in a suit, if they go out, tell him how hot he looks. Yeah. Oh, my God. It turns Sleep me on afterwards. so much. <laughs> you are going to get some when we get home from this play. You know, when you're wearing the nice jacket and you're going out to dinner at the Marble Room or at the Four Seasons. Well, Four mm. Seasons isn't around anymore. But, like, um, <laughs> guys want to feel attractive. We all just want to be loved. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, this is all what it's for. You want to feel good and we want to be loved. If aiding that agenda means putting on something nice, go for it. It feels good. You talk about wanting to feel attractive, and yet um, I know when it comes to aging, certainly for women, oh, my gosh, you just worry so much. It's such a youth culture. Yeah. Um, women I think, get the brunt of that. Yeah, although I think some strides are being made as the baby boomers age, and you have people like well, Jane Fonda's had a lot of work done, but she looks great. Her work is really age. good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Well, you know, I work. You but know, Annie I work. Lennox, right? Yeah. Annie Lennox recently, her her latest album, she insisted on uh, that full frontal portrait of her. Don't erase the lines. Yeah. Show me as I, I am. I love that about her. Which which takes a lot of balls for sure. women. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering if men have the same constraints. Are there things that I know for women, um, I swear by uh, Charla Krupp's book, How Not to Look Old. And for women, there are certain things you, she's advising that you do. Uh, stay away from the, you know, five-inch heels. Uh, pinks, not oranges and reds. Mm-hmm. 
um, yeah. uh, skirts hitting knee length. Any, I love knee length skirts on women. Any lower and it's Little House on the Prairie, any higher <laughs> and it looks like you're trying to date your son's boyfriend. How? <laughs> yeah. So anything like that for men, are you thinking about – do you think about getting older and, and how your style I want to dress adapt? for all time, meaning I think the clothes that I've chosen over the last few years are going to work when I'm 70 and I'm – 48. So men don't have the same constraints that women do fashion-wise uh, in that respect. Skinny jeans, after your 20s, cut it out. Cut it out. Uh, skinny jeans, sleeveless T-shirts, particularly. Oh, please. Sleeveless T-shirts are always out as well. And hoodies. Guys love to dress, and even men in their 40s and even in their 50s, the hoodie thing and the sneakers and the jeans, I look at them and they look like overgrown version of versions of the kids in E.T., you know, like we're on our, like they're getting home from softball practice. Yeah, like, I, I, I think at a certain anymore. age, I want to throw men, a book. You yeah. better carry a lunchbox if you're going to dress like that. Stop wearing stop, sneakers. Stop dressing like a child. Yeah, and Ugh. you know, like at a certain point, like Urban Outfitters isn't going to is not your store anymore. Although they got some cute housewares <laughs> and some really cool <laughs> furniture. Um, some That's of it you, gotta, you have to be editorial. Yes, because I love um, a handsome home, but um. No, I, I, um, there are men who make choices, who dress like they're clinging onto youth or they're trying to keep up with the kids, like sneakers with suits. Like, come on. You're not, you're oh, not. Oh, sometimes I don't think that that's um, trying to look young. I just think that that's just fashion nonsense. And like, it's like, did like you really hate your comfort. father that much? Go- <laughs> your, like, did, did you really hate your father that much that you're just trying so hard to be anyone but him? Like, I went to, um, you know this, and Glenn O'Brien and a lot of the Catholic boys in Cleveland or any town, we went to a high school where we had to wear a tie. That was the uniform. Did you have to wear dress shoes? Yeah, we can wear sneakers. Okay. We cannot wear jeans. The uniform, and I got demerits for forgetting to wear socks or forgetting, forgetting a belt. Forgetting or were you trying to make a statement? Was that your fashion statement? I would, I don't remember, but I used to get out of demerits because I could do a really good impersonation of the school nurse and Mr. Flander. He's like, just come on in, give me two minutes of Mrs. Gregurk, and I'll let you go home. That was my out. <laughs> but um, can you still do her? Mrs. Jean Gregurk from school nurse from St. Ignatius High School. George isn't feeling well today. He's gonna go home. I just wanted to call. <laughs> Mr. Flander used to be on the floor, and Mrs. Gregurk was so nice. I loved her, and I, you know, I do that with respect. <laughs> Um, Totes respect. Plus, it was my key out of detention. So, like, I'm not going to not do it. Um, but we, yeah, we had to wear. Uh, it was a shirt button, a, a shirt with a collar, a tie, um, non-denim pants, a lot of corduroys at the time, uh, a belt, socks, and shoes that were not sneakers. Well, good because I can't tell you how many times I've been at formal occasions where I've seen little boys wearing the rumpled suit and the um, uh, clip-on tie Mm -hmm. and the sneakers. Right. Well, interesting. Learning early how not to dress. We lost our. I think one toe in the casual pool. I think boys growing up at home lost role models at home in terms of how to make your bed and tie your shoes and maybe do your own laundry when moms had to go to work, when in- economic inequality started like to really kick in in the late 70s and a lot of moms had to go to work and houses had to become two-income families, right? So there wasn't anyone at home to pay attention and pass on those values because everyone's in a hurry. Wear whatever and here's your lunch and go. 
instead of and well, you know what? Uh, one of our um, one of our editors, when we were in a meeting about the downtowner yesterday, was talking about how his son didn't want to wear didn't pants. Want, I didn't want to wear pants either that day. You know what <laughs> I mean? Was, sometimes you don't want to wear pants. I get it. Some sometimes you don't want to die on that particular <laughs> hill. I know, and it's like okay, yeah. Wear the shorts and the sneakers and the uh, and, yeah. and, and the white and you just dress give shirt in. to school. Right. But I it's don't a care. it's just a generational thing. When I was growing up, we had to dress up for church. We dressed up when we went out to dinner or we went to the theater. And I grew up here. We I remember going to see plays at the Hannah Theater. We did dress up and go to dinner at the Rusty Scupper. <laughs> um, and when we got on an airplane, we had to dress up. That you was still dress up when you go on. An I airplane? sure do. I sure do. Yeah. People treat you differently. Uh, who's another one? My one of my all oh, one of my idols now. How could I forget? Paul Figg. He's a director, film director who directed. He came from the Freaks and Geeks. He's a Freaks and Geeks alumnus. Um, Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids, The Heat, Spy, A Simple Favor. Very elegant man. God, he looks good, and he wears a suit and tie to the set. Now that's a job, and some guys would say, "Well, I don't have to wear a suit." There's nothing about my job and what I do that requires a suit. There's nothing about being a film director that requires a suit, yet Paul Figg wears one on set every day. Mm. Film directors don't have to do that, but wow, is he elegant. It shows respect for your job. It shows respect for yourself. Yes. Respect for yourself is number one. The respect is a three-pronged thing. Respect for yourself, respect for others, and respect for the people, places, and things with whom you're spending time when you're out. This is not a fashion thing, but I remember when I started um, obeying seatbelt laws and buckling up mm-hmm. was when I realized, wait a minute, it shows respect for my life yeah. to do that. It's not an inconvenience. It's no. not the man haranguing me and being, uh, you know, participating in the <laughs> nanny state. It's <laughs> it's showing respect for my life. That's right. That's right. So. Yeah. One last thing. Well. I could, I could go, go on. on all day, too. We should, this should be I a know, multi-part this, thing. I, th- you're free to chop this up however you you need to. Because we haven't even talked about home, diet, environment, all the things that go along with effective living. I don't want to talk about diet. <laughs> don't I don't mean there. diet as in losing weight. I mean just don't like what we eat in general. All right. You're talking to a woman. Don't go there. You look amazing. What are you talking mm. about? Too much Mitchell's. Chiseled features. You got a... Toasted pistachio. This, this great, tight physique... You you always look amazing. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Your uh, designers you love. Oh yeah. Um, before I say names, I will preface this by saying these are people. I think it's all men. Um, these are men who. Uh, no women. Uh, no women. Are there women who do menswear? There well, is a woman on Savile Row now. She is a tailor. She's a master tailor. Her name is Catherine Sargent. She is the first woman on Savile Row in London to hang up her own slate. Now, there have been women who have worked in tailor shops, in bespoke tailor shops, but she is the first to have her own name on a shop. And she tailors a lot of women in addition to men. And hmm. she's a master tailor. It takes a long time to be a master tailor. Hmm. That's as high as you get. I admire her. I mean, I could never afford one of her garments, but I was like, I was so thrilled when I think it's been a couple of years now since she launched her own brand. Um, but these are men who create looks and clothes that are wearable and kind of have a timelessness and a classic glamour to their aesthetic. 
Um, that's another thing, glamour. This is a frumpy time. Cleveland is a frumpy town. And it's like the glamour in Cleveland is in hospice. Just Cleveland? Would you say that about New York? No, because if you walk up Madison Avenue during the day, during the business day, the men, whether they're working in a bank or an ad agency, the men look good. Yeah, but what about Brooklyn? You know, It's a different vibe. You know, the guys look good, I think, but like it's a different crowd because mm. they do care. Whereas I get the impression here that guys just like they don't care. Hmm. I want to slap half the lawyer set. Okay, so go on. Tom Ford? Tom Ford. Of course. Um, Ralph Lauren. Um, oh, there was a guy. He's long gone now. Um, uh, he's a, I don't know if you'd call him a designer because he's more of a tailor. A guy named Tommy Nutter from the 70s who used to dress like Mick Jagger and David Bowie. And he was a rock, he was the rock star's tailor. Okay. I mean, there were suits and it was a very sort of English aesthetic with a structured shoulder and stuff. But... Tommy Nutter's style was, he was crazy, but he was really talented. He died. Where are you in the uh, tie width? Uh, Three and a quarter inches on me. No skinny ties? No. The, um, I don't want to say. Never skinny ever? Ties, no, no. Skinny ties are good on skinny guys. Skinny ties for skinny guys. You're a skinny guy? Mm, middle. I'm middle, like medium. Okay, I'm I know not what you wave. mean. You're, you're, not, you're not Mick Jagger. And it goes like this. I have a small... <laughs> you're not heroin skinny. I try to... No. <laughs> and I try to balance this out in photographs, but I have a small head. Like, I have a small face. If I stood next to, like, Tom Cruise, my head would look like a, a lemon. Like, so... Really? Yeah. Um, Let's get Tom in here. Tom, come no, on. No, Tom Cruise has a huge head. Really? I mean, he's a tiny dude, but he's got a massive head. George Clooney has a huge head. Um, the width of the tie relates yeah. to the width of your face, which relates to the width of your shirt collar, which also relates to the width of your lapel. Meaning, it's a bummer. Like, I see, like, Jimmy Kimmel does this all the time. I don't watch it a lot, but, like, Jimmy Kimmel will have, like, a skinny tie, and Fallon does it, too. The tie is too skinny and the shirt collar is too skinny and then you've got like this wide lapel on a jacket. It's off balance. Um, so I have, because of my, my medium small monkey head, <laughs> um, my shirt ties are like between three and a three quarter inch at their w- widest, widest near the bottom. My shirt collars are a little over three inches and my lapels on my jackets are like three th- to three and a half inches. And so I keep it, it's about balance and proportion. It's not just about, oh, I'm into skinny ties this year. It's like, no, you're going to make your head look huge. (laughs) Or if you're a skinny person and you wear a tie too wide, you're going to look, it's going to look weird. So it's different for each person. So when you do go casual, what are your rules for that? No sneakers and jeans that fit. Lose the dad jeans and lose the bedazzling on the jeans like these. What's that brand that's got that super bedazzled pocket? A true religion. Okay. Oh, my God. Like, really? What's with the ladies' jeans, boys? Come <laughs> on. I don't care if it's Levi's. I'm a Levi's person. I've worn Levi's all my life. Like, they and, cover all the bases I need in jeans. And always jeans. I don't know that I've seen you have chinos. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And always pants. I don't see you in shorts. I don't wear shorts in the city. That's a rule of mine. And, and how did you develop that rule? When you're in the city, I think it's a place, I I think the city itself, whether in New York or downtown Cleveland or Detroit, Philadelphia, I don't care. uh, The city, to me, this doesn't work for everybody, I'm just speaking for myself, carries with it a certain formality. You know, like some guys, like, don't wear brown in town, so they wear black shoes when they're in the city. Brown is for when you're in the country. Um, I don't break it down that hard, but... um, 
Yeah, to me, uh, I wear shorts when I'm at the beach, when I'm in the suburbs or in the country or, you know, at the pool or whatever, but you will never see me walking the dog along St. Clair in shorts. And when did you develop that rule? Was that your time in New York City that when, influenced that? or No, when it never felt comfortable. And again, that's a, that's a part of casualization. Uh, that's a casualization of our time. Men years ago never would have done that, uh, worn short pants. And also, I've always kind of felt that. And then I heard Tom Ford say it, and I was like, oh, validation for what I've always felt. Thank you, Tom, for confirming what I've never been comfortable with, which is shorts in the city. Also, not all guys have good legs, and they put (laughs) us through making us look at them, and their toes and the sandals. I mean, I could go on from my list of pet peeves. That's another episode. Yeah. But it's usually like flip-flop sandals, shorts, like the Adidas rubber shower shoes. Spare me. Yeah. Your toes are ugly. Your legs aren't amazing. Throw on some pants and cover your feet. Um, so clothing-wise, mm-hmm. staple you would not do without? Oh, there are several, but... Um, your, t- your top one, deserted island. What would you go? Oh, if I were on a deserted island? Yeah. A white T-shirt. Okay. Um, Product-wise, grooming-wise... What would you take to a desert island? <laughs> um, I would take uh, Bulldog's Age Defense Moisturizer. <laughs> and hopefully there's something in the – because it doesn't have an SPF in it. So hopefully – because you're talking about desert island. White T-shirt will reflect the bright light and cool me off. Um, and the Age Defense Moisturizer because they don't do animal testing. And uh, it works. It's a great voice, face moisturizer. Okay, in your grass hut, what household staple would you bring? You're putting me on an island in a grass hut. Is there Wi-Fi? (laughs) Because this sucks. (laughs) You're so not going there. there, Do I have a bike? Like, (laughs) where's the deli? (laughs) Help. Is there Netflix? (laughs) Shit. Okay, so what about my hut? What's in my hut? (laughs) You tell me what's the staple you, you can't do without. A book. I'd have to think about which one. A book, not your Chemex coffee filter? Oh, sh- oh gosh. Yeah. I pre- I'm taking for granted that there are some things, not necessarily my Chemex, but I, gosh, uh, endless coffee because there's water, I guess. And when it rains, I can stick a cup outside. <laughs> but I need coffee because I love water and I love coffee because I don't drink. And so coffee is my favorite beverage. What is one thing your podcast audience would be interested in learning about you that they haven't learned already from your blog or your Instagram posts and Twitter? That I'm, that I'm not a nice person. Do tell. You're not a nice person. I don't experience you as a not nice person. Nah, I jest. I jest. I jest. But I do get frustrated with people because I think people – I get sad, I guess, and impatient when I look out, you know, my window out on the sidewalk or out into the world or what I see on a screen when I'm working at my computer, um, uh, people not trying, people's have well, lost their ability to uh, capacity for compassion or empathy, and I just get frustrated with humankind sometimes, and I want to bitch slap people. And to be fair, you'll make those comments online, but I've never heard you say that. To a person, I've never, I've never seen you treat anybody. Um, I'm reserved. Meanly. I'm not saying I exhibit it. I, I contain it. Okay. Generally, I mean, if there were a camera inside my apartment, well, <laughs> let's just say I have electrical tape over the camera on my iMac, just in case 
Uncle Sam or a hacker's looking in. No. Um, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I don't rage at people or something like that. I guess I just, God, I said I'm, because I'm not a nice person. I think, I, I think I'm a good person. I would want to be friends with me. I can honestly say that. Cause, um, I think, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't play by the rules a lot of the time. Yet at the same time, I respect the rules that apply to everybody. Like I'm a person who waits in line. I don't think like, oh, that there's a line that shouldn't apply to me. Like, no, George, you wait in line like everybody else. I do this job hosting at a restaurant. I don't think I'm too good for it. I do it to get out of the house. There was a time in my life where I thought it was too good to be a waiter. I was that bitter, frustrated actor who mm-hmm. was out of work. And um, now, no, I, you know, when I go to my job and I go through the employee entrance, I say to myself, be gracious, be grateful, and be a worker among workers. What else would be people be surprised to know about me? Oh, that you're a sucker for your dogs. Oh, that's, oh, I don't know if goodness. that's a, I think that's an open secret. Okay. I love my dogs more than anything. And that you're a really devoted son. Yes, I love my mother. Uh, she was probably the main reason of a few reasons, and I've written about this and talked about it, but she was the main reason I left New York and came back to Cleveland. And you're not a New York snob. You've really embraced Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, there. Are, I think there are things, well, I think there are things about me that <laughs> could be colored as New York snobbishness for sure. I get impatient. I get very impatient, actually, with Cleveland's, what I think of as short-sightedness and, you know, limited vision in mm. terms of what it, downtown specifically, like where is my corner deli? I joke about it all the time, but I mean, things that make a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Because downtown's got a long way to go. And Mm -hmm. downtown Cleveland's cheerleaders, A, don't live downtown generally. Generally. Right. I think that's And have never lived in another town. You Mm -hmm. know, I've lived in Boston. I have lived in New York. And in both of those major cities, I've lived in different neighborhoods. Well, I don't know that you can say that for certain. Say what? About... Civic leaders and downtown advocates in organizations like the Downtown Cleveland Alliance not living in other cities. We don't know that for sure. No, no, no. I know that. But I would say that I, you know, I have, I have, um, I think I have a, not I think, I know, I have a lot of experience with other kinds of cities and neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've seen what has worked and what hasn't and what are some problem areas and what are some great success areas. I think there are some things that Downtown Cleveland does very well. Um, and there are some things that I just, you know, slap my head and, and just, you know, my f- head goes into my hands and I just go, oh, really? So, um, I'm impatient. That's, that's like, if there's something bad about me that I don't like about myself, um, I'm impatient, uh, to a fault. I think I want things now. Why did you start the blog and the website? How you, old is it now? Gosh, I think I started it in its current incarnation in... 09 maybe mm-hmm. or 2010 it was in the wake of occupy wall street i was looking at a magazine at the time uh occupy wall street and the collapse had happened and um there was all this chatter about economic inequality and you know bludgeoned with stories of people who can't pay off their homes and kids buried in student loan debt and i remember flipping through i think it was details magazine because details magazine was shamelessly high-end and I'm looking at like $10,000 watches and $6,000 suits and 80, 90, $100,000 cars. And I'm going like, 
who's buying this shit? Who is this for? Not, it's not speaking to me at all. So I thought I wanted to start, and at the time my blog was about tech because I was designing websites at the time, so I was writing about app iPhone stuff and website stuff. But I always wanted to sort of broaden it. Sometimes I still touch upon it because I am a little bit of a nerd. Mm. Maybe a lot of it. <laughs> and um, so I opened up the conversation on my blog to write about the exploration, my own personal exploration of ways of dressing well and living well without being a rich person. And I was living at the time all, my, all through my life in New York. I live in studio apartments and I wasn't unhappy. So writing about living well in a small space, living on a limited budget, living with a very edited wardrobe, living in a studio without having a storage space for my off-season clothes. Everything I owned was in that 450-square-foot room, and I wasn't unhappy. So finding solutions that enabled myself and hopefully the reader to find um, ways to look good and live well without being rich. That was the original tagline of the website for men who want to look good and live well without being rich. Hmm. And where do you want it to go? What are your hopes and dreams for um, 2019, George Hahn? I know, gosh. And I get... It's getting know, to that time of year. Because of work start... stuff and distractions, I can get lazy with it, and I really need to be more disciplined with it. And my own podcast, of course, uh, is, is, has been so non-scheduled and sporadic to my own detriment. Um, what do I want from it? I want... To be helpful, I do get really nice emails uh, and notes on Facebook, private messages, and on Twitter from guys who, um, if I had thought of it in advance, I would pull them up on the phone um, and show you some things that men have said to me about how I've literally, like, I'll get choked up about it. And it sounds so, like, egotistical to say it, and I don't mean it that way, but it really does touch me to um, be able to know that I've been helpful. I've been able to help somebody dress better or live better or rethink how he eats meat or um, ride a bike more instead of take his car. Because I'm not, you know, yeah, I'd love to change the world. Sure, who doesn't want to do that? Uh, but at the same time, if you, can, if you can make a difference for somebody and make their life better or easier or make them feel better or more effective or more like a man who can stand with his back a little straighter and with a little more confidence, that's very rewarding. You know, because sometimes it's an act. Sometimes I'm not in the mood to put on a suit or go out. But those choices that I've made, that design for living that I've created for myself, enables me to walk into a room with, even if it's fake confidence, at the time, if I don't feel good on a particular day, it helps and it makes a difference. So, yeah. Well, thanks for making a difference in my life. Well, thank you for making a difference in mine. This is fun. I could talk to you all day, Amy Eddings. I know. Wait, I That's could, why I we could, get along so well on microphones I, and in life. I could talk to you all day. Mm -hmm. All day. You're fascinating. So are you. All right. Here's, the, here's your dismount. Um, how, do, how do you end your podcast? Oh, I say, um, and that's it for the George Hahn podcast. Thank you for listening. You can catch up with me on my website at georgehahn.com. You can also catch up on me on Facebook at the George Hahn page. And I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at George Hahn. And in real life, I'm George Hahn. <laughs> that's how it goes. And I used to write something. I want to write something else. It's something like, you know, that's very sort of flight attendant-esque. Like, <laughs> we know you have a lot of choices in the podcast sphere, and we thank you for choosing this one. <laughs>
<laughs> you know. I like that. Don't you? Isn't it fun? <laughs> and you can pick up your baggage at uh, Carousel Because we all got baggage. <laughs> Get your baggage. That's another thing I got to write. Traveling better, traveling light. Oh, yeah. I got the best suitcase. I wrote about it. I'll tell you about it off, off the air. All right. So here's my dismount for mm-hmm. you. And that's the George Hahn Podcast. You can find more of George Hahn at georgehahn.com. You can also find him all over the social media sphere. What's your handle? On Twitter, Twitter mm-hmm. and Instagram, it's George Hahn. Okay. And on Facebook, the George Hahn page. And that is genuinely it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I do apologize again and again for taking so long to get this second half of my conversation with Amy out. There have been many who've been asking about it, and I really appreciate your patience. And I'll be better next time, I swear I will. Um, Dress well, live well, and live effectively, and be kind. And I'll talk to you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye, George. Laters. (laughs) 